passion is, is an entrepreneur's mistress. Don't fall so in love with your idea that you don't test it. Just because you think it'll work, make sure there's a market that wants it. I mean, beta test that like a son of a gun. Um, that's what I find. People bring an idea to the marketplace and the marketplace has no interest. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I am your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's built several businesses, the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as uh, found, the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help uh, startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another uh, great guest on the episode, and it's Sean, and I'll try and say Castrina, is that right? That's perfect. You're the only one who does it right. <laughs> All right. Well, I tried my best. I usually yeah. am on the opposite end where I end up massacring yeah. it, but I got it right today. So, so anyway, um, Sean uh, has, he'll tell a little bit more of his journey, but it all started back from when he was a uh, state wrestling or wrestling and went on to uh, get a scholarship in college, had a competitive mindset. And then out of college, he uh, worked for a non-for-profit, was a CEO, and uh, then went on to do a few other things. And, uh, that will bring him up to where he's at today with some digital marketing company and uh, doing some of the different uh, things he's involved with now. And he'll give a much uh, fuller introduction to himself. But welcome onto the podcast, Sean. Hey, no, it's great. Great to have you. Yes, I work for a nonprofit out of college working directly for the CEO, but I am currently a CEO uh, now and I own a lot of service companies, including a digital marketing company that provides uh, digital services to small businesses. There you go. Uh, there, there's the uh, there's modified like, version. A <laughs> lot of time over a very short period of time. And I, and I did miss up and say you were the CEO rather than work for the CEO. But it, it, it makes you sound. It's all the same so. thing. <laughs> so, so we started. And so now uh, rewinding back, we said kind of as we always do with the podcast, we take where you're at today and take a few steps backwards. So <clears throat> as you, <clears throat> excuse me, got a frog in the throat. As we mentioned, you started, and for you, it almost started back in high school with wrestling, yeah. kind of having that competitive nature. So maybe take us back to your high school years, and we'll work our way forward to the, the, the current time. Yeah. No, in high school, I played um, soccer, wrestling, and, and tennis. But wrestling, I was a high school state champion. And the one thing about wrestling, just like, you know, boxing and or, you know, MMA, UFC, all that stuff, it, it's it's, it's not like any other sport. And statistically, I believe wrestlers in college go on to have the most success in life. And basically, you know, I've, I've read that before that they're, they're highly successful because it's very competitive. You can't, you know, you can't call timeout. There's nobody to blame. I mean, if you lose, you lost. So yeah, wrestling definitely creates a combative mentality that allows, I think as an entrepreneur, you know, you got to have the, you know, you got to be very competitive. You got to be highly resilient. And mm. um, so th those qualities definitely help out, you know, in life as well as being an entrepreneur. So you started with the high school as being a wrestler. Yeah. Now yeah. we take at least to college and you're, so we'll fast forward a bit yeah. to college. Coming out of college and you decided, okay, I've got my degree. I'm going to go be competitive. And you worked for a non-for-profit for the CEO. Yeah. What was what kind of non-for-profit was that? And what did you do there? Yeah. So it was in it was in DC and it was a it was a school, church, large organization, very well known, top 20 in the country. And um, 
it's funny though, because I, you know, I would never get a job at a place like that coming out of college with a new degree, but I knew I didn't want to work on all the little steps. I didn't want to go work in some little bitty city. I mean, I know my personality type. I got sharp elbows. I don't play in the sandbox too well with others. So mm-hmm. with, you know, that you got to know who you are. That's another thing. Know, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. I called the CEO. I agreed to work for the entire summer for free following graduation. And, um, he took me up on that graduated the next day drove there with everything I owned in the back of my car. And I was friends with that person until I, you know, until he passed away. Um, the, my two direct supervisors, I'm still super close friends with one lives like 10 miles down the road. His wife was at our pool a week ago. Uh, but I lost that dream job because that CEO was in his late sixties. And when he gave up the reins, uh, there was a new takeover and he got rid of everybody that was loyal to him. And I was one of those that, you know, went to lunch with him like three days a week and, and, you know, he, he just liked the energy and we just naturally clicked. And so when that I happened, I, real, yeah. just I think you jumped over one thing I thought was because yeah. you only told kind of half the story. And this goes back to what we talked a little bit before about the podcast or before the yeah. podcast started. So you, you went in to the CEO, you, you connected up with him and said, Hey, I'll work for you for the summer, 90 days free of charge, no yeah. attached whatever you want me to do. And if I remember right, you said that, you know, about 10 days in, he said, okay, you're doing a good enough job. We'll actually offer you a job and you got a oh, yeah. job as opposed to a free job. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Within a week, he said, you know, within a week, he, you know, that he just knew I was going to bring some value to it. And then, you know, within 90 days, he, you know, he brought me in and he, he handed me an envelope and said, so what do you want? You know, write it out on the back of the envelope. And we went back and forth a little bit, but that ended, you know, I ended up making, you know, at the time, and this was 20, you know, this was 30 years ago and I was making, you know, almost $55,000 out of college. Mm. It's pretty good money. So that betting on yourself worked out okay for me. So I, I give you kudos because that's certainly a gut. I mean, on the one hand, if you don't have anything to do and or if it's your dream job, it's, an, you know, it's a, a way to distinguish you from the pack. And yeah, the other hand, you're saying I could be working three months for free and I may not have anything to show for it. So it's kind of is, I think, betting on yourself that you're going to be able to convince them that you're worthwhile to hire. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're talented, I mean, there's only a few things in life that I could bet my life on. And, and at the time, what he was going to have me do, I could bet. I, I knew I would do well. Um, I just was confident that I, again, I could have went to a real small firm, made $15,000 and rotted there for 10 years, mm. or I could, you know, even if I worked for the 90 days for free and I was fully prepared to, um, but it all worked out my way. I would have won in the deal. Everybody's too short-sighted. Everybody wants everything overnight. And, and I knew that there had to be a price to pay mm. to get, to skip the three rungs up the ladder. And no, so, I think that it's, and it sounds like it worked out well. So at least for that five years, and then as you yeah. said, now jumping back into your story, loyal to a T, CEO, retired, left. Now you're the loyal guy that, you know, knows him very well. So they're saying we're getting rid of all the people that are loyal to him so that we can have somebody that will follow the new CEO. So with that, then what, what, how did you make that transition? They're saying, okay, we don't want you anymore. You're too loyal, so to speak. Now what do we, yeah. now what do, we do? Yeah. So, you know, you go yeah, in, in periods of your life. Sometimes I try to tell people that sometimes you don't move forward. You're on a conveyor belt and that's okay. That's okay. So my conveyor belt was selling insurance for, for one year, life insurance, uh, which, you know, made really good money, but it allowed me to start my first business. Um, so I allowed that, you know, it kind of worked, worked out well. I started an auto detailing business, which is really funny. And I did that because there were really nice cars in the parking lot whenever I went to our, our weekly meeting. 
Mm. I'm like, well, why, you know, what if you get your car clean while you're here? I've never cleaned a car in my life. I don't even clean the cars I have now. So it's not like I love cleaning cars. I just saw a need and I knew it would make money. And it did $30,000 passive income, just setting it up. And that kind of gave me the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the proof of concept. I knew you could make really good money in service companies. There was, mm-hmm. there's huge margins, typically, you know, like 50, 50. So somebody does the work, you run the company, you get 50%. So, you know, again, I, I, that company did like 125,000 and, you know, I, I think after my expenses and everything I had, I walked away with like 30 to 35. Mm-hmm. And right then I knew, you know, you have to have a million dollars in an annuity to make 30, $35,000. So I always looked at it long-term. Everybody said, well, you made 30 grand. I go, no, I could make 30,000 forever. Mm. You know, barring the, you know, people need their cars cleaned. I, I can make 30 forever. I ended up selling that company. It still exists. My wife actually took a photo of it at a traffic light, you know, mm. about three months ago. So it was, it was just, I love service companies. You know, that was a durable. It's interesting because service company, you know, even you can even see a lot of companies are trying to move into that model. So software, if you remember back in the day, and now it's already made a lot yeah. of those transitions. It was you buy Microsoft Word or you buy Windows or you buy whatever. You buy it once, you get a disk, install it on your computer, and you have it for the rest of your life until you want to upgrade. Now everything's moved over to SaaS or software as a service yeah. where it's subscription-based, right? So now every Office now Office 365, you always have to pay. You have to pay for upgrades. You have, it's a continual thing, and they're trying to do a lot of the same thing of getting that passive income and almost becoming a service-based you know, for software as opposed to, you know, having that kind of one off because you realize the income revenue that you can create or create from service business is much greater. Yeah. I just think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm kind of like a simple mind. I look at things that a robot cannot do and what they cannot sell online. So Mm -hmm. I take an Armageddon like scenario, like what, what would a business that's probably going to be around 20 years from now? Well, there's always going to be houses around here. Okay, just taking a simple model. There'll always be cars. So mm. a robot is not going to do your oil change. A robot's not going to, you know, swap your tires out on your car. And if that ever happens, we got bigger issues. So, mm. so my point is, yeah, obviously, if we ever get to that level of automation, there won't be employment. So we'll have far bigger issues. But like on your house, a robot's not going to power wash your house, clean the gutters on your house, replace your siding, your roofing, you know, clean the, my pool out back. You know, I just paid to have somebody clean my pool. They come every week. Somebody mows my grass every week. I mean, there's, my house is a $10,000 a year profit stream for various service companies mm. because I haven't found a robot and Amazon can't do it. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, and then my digital marketing company is the same model. So yeah, I, I like service companies. I think they're extremely durable. They require very little startup money. Um, so I, I, I like that model. And I, and I that's one nice thing because I've been I've been on both sides, right? So some of the startups that I've done have been more on the hardware product, you know, product type thing that you require very cash intensive, right? So it takes a lot of R and D money, takes a lot of investment, manufacturing, all those things. And I've been on the service side and service, you know, they both have their merits, pros and cons. Yeah. Service side is certainly much easier to get up and running because to your point, the the amount of income or amount of money you have to put into the company to get it going is so much lower than on a hard or a physical product or something you're having to sell just because by its very nature those are much more cash hungry so i I tend to agree especially for people that are looking to say i want to get going on my own business looking at the service side oftentimes makes sense if you don't have the cash reserves or the investor otherwise 
Yeah, I like businesses that you can get up and running in 30 days and make money from day one. So I have a very, you know, maybe a blue collar mentality in that. Um, you know, now if I'm an investor, that's different because I, you know, a business may take a year. But if I'm personally involved in it, I, I have a belief that we're going to make money the day we open and we're going to open it fast. So that's kind of, you know, my, my you know, how I, how I view it. And that's why I like service companies. They, they allow you to scale really quickly because you really only have to focus on two things. Assuming you pick something that's needed, assuming you've tested it and you know that there's a need for what you want. Well, you only have to do two things. You need to market. You need to keep, you need to attract people that need it. And number two is you got to hire well people that can perform what you're promising. If you do those two things, you can do other things, but if you do those two things fast, mm. you scale quick. Yeah. No, I, and I, I, I like, I like that, you know, I only got to worry about two things every day, hire talented people that can perform what I'm promising and make that phone ring, make the, you know, the internet leads come on, whatever the case may be, that it's, that's a, you know, I, that's an easy target for me. So now as we continue on your journey, just to keep us yeah. moving, so you did the car wash, you had that as a passive income. What did you do? I think that we talked about, you started selling insurance yeah, as well sold, alongside that. Yep. Start, sold insurance for a year while I was looking for my next business venture. When I was doing the, uh, which I'm going to call it, the auto detailing, I advertised in this little direct mail magazine. And uh, I thought it was a really neat concept. So I found a city that had not had, didn't have anything like that in it. Uh, Charlottesville, Virginia at the time was voted the number one city in America to live. And I just had a child. So my wife and I come down here for a weekend on vacation. I, I, I look at all the different things that are here, whether this magazine exists here and there's nothing like it. So we move here. I sell cars for one month to give me my startup money, $5,138. I was our top salesman. I only worked there for 30 days. And um, use that money, launched my direct mail magazine. We had that in 23, six, 23 cities, sold that in 2008. And while I own that, I started a home service company that makes millions and millions of dollars. And 21 years later, that's still like peeling off extraordinary uh, profit. And so that's kind of a fast version of how mm. we got to here. So you, get, so you get to here and we'll go back. So the, the service yeah. company that you're still doing today, is that now the marketing company or which one of the companies? No, no, they're totally separate. I'm one of them guys that actually have multiple businesses. So I own a home contracting company that has eight companies in it. Okay. It has a right. holding company and a brand. Okay. Hmm. You build a brand and then you can create other lines of profit. So we have one holding company and under it, we have eight companies that kind of feed into that. Then about four, Four years ago, three years ago, I, you know, digital marketing really gets strong, okay? Mm -hmm. But I don't understand. I understand traditional media. It's kind of what my background, you know, direct mail, TV, radio, I understood that. But I didn't understand digital marketing, so everybody was trying to sell me. My TV stations would come in and go, hey, you know, this is the new, the next big thing. Mm -hmm. And everybody was getting into it. So they'd show it to me and try to sell me. My radio station came in, and one person in that meeting was head and shoulders smarter than everybody else who I'd met with quiet person, but he had worked with fortune 500 companies and he was running their digital marketing company. And I reached out to him the next day and said, listen, I'll give you my account, but we got to meet every month, 15 minutes in my office. And I want you to explain it in such a way that a 12 year old can understand it. Mm. So I, I want to know what it is. I want to know what I'm spending, why I'm spending it. And what are the results? Very fast meeting. Sean, you spent this much money. I recommend you spend this much money and this is what you got. And 
I had that conversation with him the next day. And I said to him in closing, by the way, James, you will either come work for me or we'll be partners in a business. I don't know when, but I know it's going to happen. He thought I was insane, but he said you were cocky enough that I believed it was possible. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, now, you know, three years later, uh, he's partners with me in Gig Strategic, a digital marketing company that does exceptionally well. And you type that into your thing so you know it's real, gigstrategic.com. You'll see mm -hmm. James with an opening video. And the funny part about that story is, is that he helped me with my company and, and we he, we started around November of that year and about May of that year, I said, James, because he had smaller children, I said, James, have you um, ever been to Disney World? Mm. And he goes, no, I hadn't been to Disney World. I said, great, I want to send you and your family to Disney World. And he goes, well, why would you do that? I said, because I told you, you're either going to come work for me or we're going to be partners. And this is kind of my down payment. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I gave him, a, you know, paid for it and he had a great vacation. And, you know, about a year and a half after that, I guess two years total, we started a company and now we're a, a year and a half in and growing like crazy. We're up, you know, we're trending to be up 50% this year during a virus. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. But again, and just another service company, service companies are easy for my brain to get around. No, I agree. So, so you mentioned you have eight companies that you're under your holding company right now. Or the yes, company. exactly. So, and because you always, you can get two frames of mind or two, you know, thoughts or, or types of philosophy. I probably subscribe more to yours, but I'll play devil's advocate for just, yeah. the, you know, the two are one is that you need to be laser focused, right? You need to focus on one company, build it big, put all your time and effort onto it, make sure it goes well. And then you have, you know, and so some people do that on the flip side, you're, you know, you have people that are saying, Hey, I have multiple competing interests, or I like to have a diversity in my portfolio, or I want to do multiple yeah. things. And so I'm going to do multiple companies. But if you're to play the devil's advocate, you know, how is it difficult to run most or those companies at the same time? Do you spend the same amount of time and effort on each of them? How do you juggle all of that and be able to make sure that none of them don't, you know, some of them don't die in the buying from lack of attention because you don't have enough time to spread yeah. it across all of them? Yeah, the way I would, the illustrations I would give to kind of say why you can do more if, if you know, you have to have a, a skill set that can do it. But I mean, for one, Bill Gates and Microsoft is the probably the most, you know, next to Amazon is one of the most entrepreneurial companies. They, they buy a company, you know, all the time. Mm. They buy out, you know, a small startup competitor added into their holding. They buy something that complements their portfolio that has okay. synergy. So I don't, I don't, you know, like I don't go buy a restaurant or I don't go start some, or dry clean. I don't start something way off my beaten path. I start businesses that complement and have synergy with the existing parent company. So that's important. And like Amazon, Amazon buys Zappos. And that was one of their bigger purchases early on it, that fits. And then they have audible.com. Well, it's books, it's still books. Mm -hmm. It's just a different version. My point is you, you, you get involved in businesses that are in your lane. Mm. I don't veer from my lane. I'm not that arrogant or that stupid. So I get offered a lot of business opportunities. And if they're not a service company that I can feel like I can make money really quick and all I got to do is brand it, mm. then I don't want to have no part of it. So again, I think the key is you're doing businesses where there's synergy. Mm. Where the, oh, I think where, that's a good yeah. point. I, that, and I've asked a question on a few other podcasts because I said there's, I've seen both, both work well. Some people like to just be laser focused. They want to keep their mindset on one thing. Another thing you almost want to have that, first of all, you know, you have that, I want to do multiple businesses. I think keeping in that lane is kind of that medium where you're saying, 
I, I have a skill set. I understand what it is. I can apply it to the same type of, or you know, similar types or, or related businesses, and I can build one. I think the diversity and diversity, you know, even within COVID or even times of good, times of bad, diversity within a company is is, is beneficial. And then a lot of times you can leverage one company with another, so they can have you that. can sell you can sell one off if you have to. Uh, you know, there's a lot, but but the big thing is is that you should, as a business owner, every year you should try to add a twenty percent profit stream. Hmm. So that's my rule. Every year I want to, I want to, you know, bring 20% of new money to the table. That way, if something, you know, loses its luster or, you know, the marketplace changes, I'm not completely out of a business. So by just a very discipline, that's a challenge that I always put in front of myself is that, okay, I want to, I need to bring, we got to create 20% of new money this year. And I found starting businesses within that holding company that complement that holding company was the easiest way to do it then trying to do something completely new which i tried and it failed mm-hmm. miserably and it wasn't a service company and i lost money and mm-hmm. it only took getting kicked one good time to put me back in my lane so now that brings us up till today and you have the different businesses that you're running and you know gig strategic is one and you have the, the several other businesses but now yeah. you take and you, and you started to touch on it just a bit but now you take the next, you know, six months to a year. I guess I can back up before you ask that question. So of all those companies and you've had a diversity of a few and you've also had an, you know, an interesting career and in how you do different things. Was it all roses? Did everything always work out? Was it always just, you know, the highlight reel and nothing ever went wrong? Or was there ever times where along that path as you're building the, you know, the diversity in the different companies to where it was hard or whether you second guess yourself or to whether you hit the road bumps along the way? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's always harder than you think. If you knew what you were going to face, you wouldn't have done it in the first place. So that's why it's good that you never know. Mm. I always say it's like, and you'll look back at your life. I'd like to think when you're in your 80s, you go, I can't believe I went through that. And I went through that. And I went through that. But if you'd have known early on, you had to go through it. It would have been like mind numbing to even imagine your, but you, you know, you know, you go through it and you're like, you get through it. And then you look back on it and go, man, I didn't see that coming. Mm. But then you get a little bit more resilient, a little bit smarter. And so you just, it's like making a snowball. That's how I view it. You know, it just keeps rolling and it keeps getting harder and bigger in time. And at some point, your, your knowledge level, your resources make you a pretty formidable foe. Mm. You know, we're in the beginning, you know, it, it doesn't take much to knock you, knock you out. And, and so, yeah, you just, yeah, I always say, man, failure is, a, is just the speed bump to success slows you down a little bit, makes a little noise, makes you look underneath the, what, what happened there. And then you just keep moving. No, I like both of those analogies, the speed bump and the, the snowball. Now you just got to figure out how to combine them together to make one awesome analogy. So no, I think that's great. So now, now I'll go to my question, which is now you have the different companies going forward, looking you you touch on a bit with kind of trying to add 20% new money each year. But where do you see, you know, the next six to 12 months going for you with the different businesses or new businesses or whatnot, where, what's that trajectory look like for you? Yeah, no, I mean, with like gig strategic and my home service companies, again, we, we're, we're looking at, and there's a couple ways to add 20%. Let me just kind of share with you a secret that I've kind of learned over the years is hmm. that you can add new money a lot of different ways. In other words, you can add new money by offering a new service and or a new product. Hmm. Okay. That's probably the most expensive way to do it and the hardest way, but that, that I've done that a lot. Another way to do it is to figure out how to upsell or add complementary services to what you already have. 
And that would be like an HVAC company doing, you know, a, your service, you know, your service contracts where they come out twice a year. Okay. That, that would just, that's just a quick idea on how you do that. But then the other way is to find a new marketing vehicle that generates 20% more money. So that would have been like the digital marketing. At the time, I was doing this, this, and this. And they, let's say they brought me in 40 customers a week. Okay. Mm. Then I add digital marketing and digital marketing brings in 12. Well, I just increased my margin almost 25%. It gave me 25% more people buying from me. Mm. So there's a lot of ways to, to do that 20%. I'm always trying to do that initiative with any of my companies, either I want to expand our market a little bit, maybe the size, or I want to expand my target customer a little bit. I want that demographic to be a little, little bigger. Mm. So there's a lot of ways you can grow, you know, that 20%. There's a lot of ways to do that, but you, you need to do it or you, you won't be around. No, I, I think that's, that's uh, all, all good advice and all are very thoughtful. So, well, as we now jump towards the end of the podcast, I'm going to jump to the two questions yeah. I always ask at the end. So we'll jump there now. So the first question I always ask is, so what was the worst business decision you ever made? Oh, gosh. I, I started a mattress store. Could you be any stupider? The worst part is it actually had a $5,000 opening day. So I kind of got teased by it. Mm. But I partnered with somebody who I did not know and did not vet. And he was a thief and a liar. Mm. We're number one. Number two is we expanded way too fast. Mm. And um, those two things you know, ended up getting, I always say I got an MBA in, in crisis management. Um, and, and it was, yeah. Oh gosh. It was, I, when I think of it, I get like stressed out. Just my, just, <laughs> I remember sitting in court and trying to work our way through this. It was just a disaster. So my advice from that is, you know, be careful who you partner with. I love business partnerships. They've been great to me, but this one, I went into it way too fast and I went into a business completely outside of my lane, mm. total greed. It, I, it looked too simple, looked too easy. If it looks too easy and too simple, there's your red flag. No, I, I think that's the, uh, but it's oftentimes, you know, choosing your partners, I think is one of the biggest things, you know, and, you know, the quickest thing, you know, as the old saying goes, the quickest thing that can sink a ship is a partnership type of a thing. And you have to, and, but it also can be something that leverages and helps to grow the business and makes it very profitable because you can't always do it all on your own and you need someone else to offset your talents. So you have to just, as you indicated, choose your partnership carefully and make sure it's something you understand so that the partner, you know, you don't just let, get left out in the cold. So, all right. So that's the first question I always ask and kind of dovetailing off that. The second question I always ask is, so if you're talking to someone that's just getting into startups, just getting into small businesses, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, don't passion is, is an entrepreneur's mistress. Don't fall so in love with your idea that you don't test it. Just because you think it'll work, make sure there's a market that wants it. I mean, beta test that like a son of a gun. Um, mm. That's what I find. People bring an idea to the marketplace and the marketplace has no interest. No, and I think, and the problem with that is you always fall in love. Just as you said, you fall in love yeah. with your own idea. You start to drink your own Kool-Aid. You say, hey, this is something that I would love. This is something that I would pay for. And then you start to say, well, just because you love it or just because you pay yeah. for it doesn't always translate over and other people will. And so if you don't do that testing, you can sink a lot of time, money, and effort into something that doesn't have the right market fit or that nobody else is willing to pay for. And sometimes, even if you solve a great problem and it is a better product, it doesn't mean that people are always going to pay for it. It doesn't always mean 
that someone else will do, will be willing to pay what it costs you to do it. So I think that's I always say that's so true. Your, your, your cost to solve that problem may be too high. People just don't, they're not willing to pay that type of problem, pay yeah. for that solution at that type of price. No, I completely agree. So, all right, well, as we wrap up, people want to yeah. get a, a reach out to you. They want to learn more about you. They want to use your services. They want to partner up with you or they want to pitch you with a great idea yeah. or anything. You're all of the above yeah. or, any, or none of the above. But what's the best yeah. way to connect up with yeah, you? Yeah, none of the above. I don't want anybody <laughs> pitch me anything if I can't. All right, but with that being said is that if you go to my personal site, www.seancastrina.com, you can always get one of my books for free. I give away more books than I sell. That's kind of like what I want to do. Uh, my businesses do really well, so I, I, I don't need to make money on every single thing. So if you go to my site, I think right now we have the world's greatest business plan for free. It's $18 on Amazon. You'll get that. And it has a great chapter in it about how to be a great entrepreneur. So you can get that for free. And then every day, our podcast, the 10-Minute Entrepreneur Podcast, it it's, does extremely well. It's been in the top 10 of all business podcasts. MSNBC says it's one of the top 10 podcasts you need to be listening to in 2020. So if you want to learn how to start and grow a business, you want it in just a quick daily chunk, uh, the 10 minute entrepreneur podcast is helpful. Awesome. Well, I encourage everybody to get the, anything that's free that they can uh, build or grow, grow new talents and learn new things is always a great uh, benefit to them as well as check out your podcast as well. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Um, for any of those, anybody else that's a listener in the podcast that also has a great journey to tell, make sure to check or apply to be on the show at uh, inventivejourneyguest.com. And if you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you can get notifications as each uh, new episode airs. And lastly, if you need any help with uh, patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Sean, thank you again for coming on. I look forward to seeing how your journey goes. And I'm sure um, this year and every year forward, you'll at least or, or add that 20% new money. And I'm sure a lot of years even better. Great. Thank you very much.